later on, there's a free podcast for you to enjoy. But first, Mr South has published a new book, Who's Who in Grunty Fen? The hitherto hidden heroes who made Grunty Fen what it is today. I went along to speak to him, and I started by asking him, Christopher, why did you decide to write this new book? Before I answer that question, did we have to record this at Grunty Fen? It's not very comfortable here, is it? I mean, crouched in this hut. It was authenticity what you were after. Authenticity is what I am after. Mm. And there is nothing like being on the spot to evoke all those memories that you have. Yes, well, you certainly put me on the spot. Um, what, what was your question? I've forgotten now. Why did you decide to write Who's Who in Grunty Fen? But a, a, a very important message in the answer. I've spent most of my life as a journalist, which is 61 years now, writing about people who think they're famous and shouldn't be, in my opinion. I've interviewed sports stars and flimsy starlets with no talent at all and politicians who can't make a speech without reading the notes. And I thought there's got to be something better than all these stupid non-celebrities that have made themselves famous for nothing. And so I, I thought, let's get down to the grassroots. Let's find out whether real people in real places doing real things have been neglected and there are the real celebrities, the real stars. And so I started digging around, not just Grunty Fen. I, was a, I went beyond that and I took on almost the whole of the Fens. And... Carol, I, I, I can remember my first discoveries. I was astonished at what I found, almost immediately. August Burton. Now, there's a name. It does sound a pretty impressive name, actually, but he had a very undistinguished origin. Just ordinary tradespeople living in some shabby circumstance out in one of the Fen villages. And yet his name really should go down, well, in history. In a sense, I've made that happen, this little history. He explored the Fens thoroughly for the first time. And he discovered many villages which nobody had suspected. It was like going into darkest Africa. And he found villages where people were following customs that nobody had dreamed of. The sad thing is that he did leave a pretty good account of most of the communities that he encountered on his forays into the Fens, he wrote a book called uh, A Foot on the Fens, a Far, Far Afield A Foot on the Fens. It was very full of Fs. Um, anyway, um, he, he found many villages and made a good record of them. And as I said, there's a sadness to this because so many of them have been, well, you know what happens. They, I can't think of any way to put it more politely. They have been sucked back in. The fen, the surface of the fen is not to be trusted. It is oozing with past civilizations, and sometimes it regurgitates and a, a fen village reappears after a, a century or two, and others simply vanish. One has no way of knowing what layers of villages there are under the surface of a fen field. Anyway, he pinned down many of them. Um, Antoinette Clayton... There's another woman, and I have to be careful what I say here, because she's still alive. Uh, she is a true heroine of Fen culture. She came originally from Putney in, in South London, 
and um, she came, she has a minor inheritance, her father was a tobacconist, and uh, it doesn't matter. And, and the best value for money she could get in terms of real estate was to buy a house at Grunty Fen, as a matter of fact. And um, her ambition was to civilise the Fens. Now, as this little book will make clear, there's a good many people who have tried to civilise the Fens, and this is a feat yet to be fully achieved. She wanted to do it by providing reading matter. Um, the county library had failed dreadfully. It wasn't their fault, but you see, I can't put this without sounding critical of the good people of the Fens. But in... Look, not to beat about the bush, they burned the books. If, if the county library provided a full range of, of novels and, and, and factual volumes, in cold weather, people rushed into the library and the books were never seen again. I mean, that's, that's the plain truth of it. She thought she could rescue the situation by making people, inviting people to contribute their own books and... Yeah, well, I, I don't think I'll tell you the outcome because I want you to read the book. Um, but Antoinette Clayton is a... Who was that wonderful man, the architect? Niven, Niven Parr, I think you're talking about. Niven, Niven Parr. Niven Parr. Now, Niven Parr, once again, I must not, as if I'd want to, say anything adverse about Niven Parr. Um, he's still alive and still doing wonderful work out on the fens. Anybody with an idle moment, a couple of hours, to take a spin across the seemingly uneventful flat fields of the Fens may well see his finest work. If you come across a curious construction, a habitation, a hut, a barn, a pigsty, and it is of a classical nature, you will see columns in the Corinthian, Ionic or, or Doric order. You may see something Rococo, Baroque. These are his work. He has produced a synthesis of Western architecture. No, I correct myself because there is a strong Chinese influence in some of his work. So Oriental and Occidental architecture is brought together in the pigsties of the fence. You've got to read. You really must read about Niven if you want to understand the true story of English architecture in the 20th and early 21st century. How many people did you bring to light, let's say, from, from the bleakness of Grunty Fen? Well, and of course the, the, the villages in the hinterland as it comes and goes over, over the centuries. Many more than are in the book, my dear. Um, many, many more. I've, I've, had, I've had to set aside some noble people. Quite frankly, I could only really tell the truth about some of the people I've discovered. One must wait for, um, well, quite frankly, the Grim Reaper um, to, as it were, release one's pen in order to... I, I won't, I mean, I won't say any more about that. So there are... I'm... I can't say I'm hoping, but I am expecting that in the course of time I may be free to tell the stories of some of the other people I've discovered. So, at the moment, it's a mere handful. As I say in the introduction to this modest volume, which is a, really a work in progress, um, I, I, do you know when the Hubble telescope was turned to a little blank bit of sky and the, 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 the astronomers were astonished to discover 
that it was full of undreamed-of and otherwise invisible galaxies. And it's the same with the fans. If you just turn your telescope, it almost needs no focusing. People, there was a dog. Do you remember Susan the dog? Have you read about Susan the dog? Amazing. The, a, a clergyman who, and, and the history of the um, clergy of Grandy Fen and neighbouring villages is not an entirely happy one. Um, and in this case, the gentleman had read about the wonderful work of the big sheepdogs, the St Bernards, who rescue stray people lost in the awful snowy wastes of the Alps. And um, he wanted to do the same thing, but he didn't think that sending dogs out across the fence, where many people do fall into dreadful peril in swamps and bogs, because as you know, I've told you before, one of the many perils of um, the, the, the swamps and bogs on the fens, even the puddles, is that they are deeper at the sides than in the middle. So people believe that they can sort of walk round the edge. Oh, no, it's better to go for the middle. Anyway, so many people come into trouble on the fence, and in his time, even more, um, because, of course, uh, the light was less about people. The, the hand torch hadn't been invented. Um, so he thought he would put dogs out on the fence, train dogs with not uh, I'm sorry, alcohol, which he was opposed to, round their necks, but he thought something that was more traditional as a sustenance for people who were hungry, exhausted and lost would be meat pasties. So he had uh, an, a way of attaching pasties to the dogs who were then sent out to, to look for the lost. Well, you can guess the outcome, can't you? I mean, the dogs eat the pasties. So he got round that by tying the pasties to the back of the dogs' necks so that they couldn't get at the pasties that they were carrying for the lost voyagers. Unfortunately, other dogs... Look, I won't tell the whole story, but you possibly you can guess what happened with that one. It's, a, it's not a happy story. Some of the stories really do rather touching. The lady who, during the war, devoted herself to knitting parachutes for our brave airmen and nobody, well, nobody knew who she was, do you see, because she would appeal for knitting materials, saying it was for the war effort, without telling people what particular effort she was making. And having knitted the parachutes, she used to take them to RAF and US, USAF stations all around and simply leave them at the gate with no note identifying her. And she did this, so far as we can tell, for four years, she gave up her job uh, in the haberdashery department at an Ely store, and she devoted herself to knitting parachutes. Nobody ever told her the problem with a knitted parachute, and alas, it's a, it's a sad story. I, even now I feel rather affected by the poor lady. But there are... There are many sad stories. The vicar who tried to translate the Bible into grunt, the, the local language. He was quite convinced, and he may be right, that the way people talk on the fens is not a product. It's not a dialect of English or some other language. It is a tongue sui generis. It is grunt. The language of the fens is grunt. And he managed to write... He began a vocabulary, 
of it, and he, he managed several words, but um, oh, he died, alas, and um, he died in a garret, um, having gone a little bit dotty, I suppose is the word you have to use, and um, it was very cold, and his landlady warmed him up by burning the... Oh, I can't bring myself to tell you about it. Well, the cold, I think, has got the better of us this time. Uh, I'd oh, just like to say... Chilly, it, it is chilly, It is. Thank you very much, yeah, Christopher, for that. It's nice of you to invited me to this hut. <laughs> That's quite all right. And uh, I have to say that... Uh, uh, thank you to the Gladland for putting on their extractor fan from the kitchen, which has blown through the hut oh, rather is successfully. It, is this the Gladland restaurant? Uh, it's round the back of the Gladland. Oh, I thought it was just a hut. No, oh, no, it's, 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 it's actually the peeling shed where they peel the potatoes. I could smell something. Oh, well, so did I. And what but... is that scurrying noise in the peeling? <laughs> we'll draw... Oh, I, yes, I think, yes, yes, yes. We'll draw a veil over that and say yeah, thank you very much. more than a veil, my love. <laughs> Thank you very much, Christopher South. And we look forward to many more characters coming from your pen once it is allowed to flow. When they're dead. <laughs> Let's hear that free episode of Dennis of Grunty Fen that I promised you. Right, well, look, um, apart from terrifying pigeons, uh, what else has been happening in Grunty Fen, Dennis? My friend, Mrs. Jeffrey. <laughs> She's doing all the laundry for the cricket team. She has to make them whiter than white, you see. Well, she's a very house-proud lady. I mean, and, and I can't... Uh, she's the perfect person to ask to do it. Will she be doing your whites? Will she be laundering your cricketing whites, Dennis? Well, I ain't got no whites. They won't let me play because I ain't got any. The nearest I got is sort of a... Well, that's like a sort of yellowish-grey colour. You must be able to get some cricketing whites from, from somewhere, sure. Well, see, I did. See, when old Smalley's bakery closed, I sort of inherited his outfit with, with the white trousers and apron and the jacket and that. And well, I, there you were. Well, I, solved. Well, it wasn't really, you see, because I tried them on. Every time I moved about, there's sort of a, a great sort of cloud of flower dust come out of them and... And then we we tried washing them, and they went all sort of slimy in that, and they were like a slimy pudding. And then when we hung them up to dry, they went as hard and as crisp as blooming biscuits, Mister South. I tried bleaching a pair of my old grey flannels, and we soaked them for three weeks in bleach, and all they did was come out sort of a dirty yellow colour. And I warned him, but the trouble was, you see, the material rotted. And then I was about to, to sort of do a bit of bowling and I was rubbing the ball like they do on the... Um, the damn boy, yes, all right, all know, right. We needn't go into detail. Where you're supposed to. Yes, yes, yes. And it wore a hole in my trousers because of the bleach. And then mm. when I was running up the bowl, <laughs> one of the legs fell off. But I was all right because luckily I was, I was wearing my long johns and, and the sort of pad... Sort of covered up me embarrassment, if you know what I mean. Yes, I'm fine. Well, that, that's splendid. It really crossed my mind that you, you do possess one white garment, in fact, because you have that uh, surplus which you wear over your cassock in church when you're officiating as organ pumper and so on. I suppose you would look a little odd with a, a foot of broderie anglaise round the hem when playing cricket, but nevertheless, um, it, it might be worth considering. Um, uh, what about uh, the other members of the team? They, they have proper whites, do they? Well, 
All of them do except me and Wooly. See, cause Wooly Woolard, you know, he's three height and short shill and he hadn't got any whites at all. He always used to wear his camouflage jacket and so they used to put him in the outfield over by the pond. And then Camouflage if, jacket? Yeah, you see. Carry on. <laughs> well, see what it is. He's got like... Well, it's a bit difficult, you see. What happened was... Sorry if, about the chickens. If they hit the ball towards him thinking there was a gap in the field, they wouldn't see him, you see. And then all of a sudden, that old ball would fly up in there. And just as they was about to run, a little voice from out of the camouflage and from out of the wilderness would say, Out! And that'll be old Wooly, because he's ever so good, you know, with a ball and that. He's a bit slow mentally. But he's very fast with a red ball. Where do you usually, usually place him in the field, then? Where's he most used? Well, oh, by the pond. Because, you by see... Yeah, well, now we must explain that the old pond on our cricket pitch... Well, that ain't like a nice sort of village pond what you would imagine that you see in the, in the picture books. Because that pond, I think, is one area of the fen when they drained it all them years ago, they missed it. And that pond, Miss South, well, to start with, has got kind of a green crust will go from one side to the other. Maybe that's why I never noticed it. And and there's little eyes looking at you from that pond, Miss Faith. And I'm sure there are certain creatures living in that pond that have been there ever since Harrywood the Wake's time. And so when a ball is struck towards that pond and old Woolly's over there, he's got a double incentive, you see. Because he don't want to have to go in that pond because that's ever so deep. And 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 you get you get a sort of scum ring up round your trousers yeah, and that. It's a revolting idea. I can quite understand why Woolly doesn't want to uh, <laughs> actually go in the pond. Now look, if you can't um, play cricket because you haven't the the whites, Dennis, what do they let you do? Well, there's there's one job. Mm-hmm. Well, it's oh, we well, don't on. know, Miss Southall. They give us that job, me and Woolly have it, you see. And I don't, I don't really enjoy doing it, because that, that requires a lot of head work, you see, because there's all the adding up and the taking away and that, and we're not very good at it. Well, I remember that your best subject at school was quiet time, so... That, yeah, um... well, you know, and, and sometimes you break your pencil and you can't keep up, but we have to hang... The number's up. We, we're in this little shed, me and Woolly. You're in the scoreboard shed? That's right. And we're in the little shed, and sometimes in the summer, so they get ever so hot in there. And, and we got to keep running up and down this little ladder, putting the numbers up, and then some of the numbers are missing, you see, so we've had to borrow some of the hymn numbers from up at the church. So remember that the church itself is short of twos on the hymn board, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then they're sort of sevens down the other end, so we had to sort of swap and change, really. But we're You're not telling to... me that the church uses the cricket scoreboard sevens and you use the church twos or the other way around. Good heavens above. Yes, anyway, carry on, please. Yes. Yeah. Well, they sometimes don't know where to sing a hymn or else at the end of the first over. <laughs> now, um, but anyhow, it no, gets hot, you were no, saying. No, it gets ever so hot. Mm-hmm. Oh, blast me, so that do get hot and I and, and, and the, well, you see, the trouble is that, see, old Wooly... <sighs> We don't know how to explain it, really, but, you see, Woolly's personal hygiene 
isn't quite up to the standards of other people, if you know what I mean. And he always wear them old willies. And he wear mm. them all the year round. And mm. when that get mm. hot in there, you see, oh, blood. And then there's oh, my trouble as well. Oh, yes, your trouble, yeah. You see, they come over from the pavilion and they often try and tell us off, you see, about not getting the store quite right. But, you see thing is, once they put their head in through the little hatch at the front, they sort of leave again because of the aromas. Yes, I think I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast, brought to you by Grunty Fennery, keepers and purveyors of all things Dennis. If you'd like to know more about the world of Grunty Fen, please visit www.dennisofgruntyfen.co.uk where you can also buy further episodes and memorabilia including Mr South's new book If you have any comments on this podcast or suggestions for further topics for Mr South to talk about we'd welcome your emails Please send them to dennis at dennisofgruntyfen.co.uk 